This week on the pod, AJ and I discuss the 2004 horror classic, Saw. This is I Pierce the Toast. I'm Sean. And I'm AJ. Let's make some toast. Welcome back to I Pierce the Toast. What? What? What did you just say? Uh, I believe I said I Pierce the Toast, AJ. I think you mean IPTT. I think I mean I Pierce the Toast. I think you mean IPTT. AJ, what's going on in the news? Well, first of all, you're not you're not you're not going along with the bit, but that's just fine. <laughs> <laughs> uh, there's not really a whole lot that's going on in the news right now. Well, I mean, did we not hear something about Drew? Didn't didn't Drew finally back the hell off? I mean, she. I, I guess, yeah, if we're going along with what we were talking about last week. Um, we should yeah. preface that. Uh, so we actually tried to record this uh, several days ago, and uh, Joe the Studio Dog had a bout of just enjoying himself, uh, licking away, <laughs> and uh, that was it was all over the audio, and then the, the puppy was just going crazy, so we had to move back recording. Uh, so, yeah, let's, let's hop into a couple of things we talked about on Thursday. So Drew Barrymore... Um, with the WGA SGA strike, she did kind of roll back her decision and decide not to move forward with her show without writers, uh, which I think is a smart decision on her part. Now, I know some people are being a little unforgiving about it, um, and I get it. You know, a lot of a lot of people feel that some of these Hollywood types are out of touch. But you know, she 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 dipped her toe in. She you know she tried to do this, and now she's backing it off, and that's that's the right decision. So you know, no matter how you feel about it, she's going the right direction right now. We do have some horror things coming up, I guess, in the next couple of years, which I'm kind of stoked about. Oh, yeah. Smile 2. I don't know if you ever saw the they're, first one. They're, they're, yeah, fucking the first one was great, but they're doing a second one? Yeah, they're doing a second one. I don't and know what they're going to the, do. The thing that came, that was in Smile wouldn't have gone away, because it's... Yeah, that's true. You know, it's a it's a, uh, a an ethereal, ghosty, supernatural figure, so... And, and at the end of the mirror... End of the mirror... End of the movie, I mean, it's kind of... You could easily do a sequel off of that. Oh so, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, it got it got passed on. So there there was a next person for it, right? So yeah, yeah. So there's that. There's Beetlejuice two. I mean, that's not really spooky, but I mean, it, it, there's gonna be no Beetlejuice movie. The Exorcist Believer, I believe, comes out either next week or is already out. I'll have to double check that. But yeah, I'm 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 actually really stoked for The Exorcist because The Exorcist was probably one of the first movies that truly terrified me as a kid. And I've seen the subsequent ones, like The Exorcist 2 and The Exorcist 3, which are awful. But The Exorcist 3 was, like, um, Jeffrey Dahmer's favorite movie, which is fucking crazy to me. Then they've had, like, spinoffs of that. But this one seems to be going back to the roots. And I'm, I'm really I'm really stoked about that. See, I don't know. I could never get into the whole possession thing. Because, I don't know, I just... Whenever I see possession, even in a film, to me, it's just... That's a person that probably had, like, especially when we're talking about historical possessions, you know, when they talk about, like, the possession of yada, 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 and they're talking about something that happened in, like, the early 1900s or the 1800s. All I can think is that was probably a person with mental illness, and that was mischaracterized as um, possession, and all they did was just make life much worse for that person. I mean, but in these movies, it's true possession. So, well, I mean, yeah, obviously, yeah. In, in this in these movies, you know, they're literally their heads are literally turning all the way in three sixty. So it's like okay, that there might be some merit here within the context. Of oh the yeah, film. for sure. But still, even then, it's it's hard for me to suspend my disbelief and and really enjoy. But uh, I did have an uh, interesting uh, encounter on TikTok, not like 
personally talking to someone, but um, a, a young woman put out a TikTok where she was asking a, a, an interesting question. And I thought, you know what, AJ and I can answer this because we know the answer to this. And it's, it's weird because you and I are uniquely qualified to answer this question. <laughs> uniquely qualified. Uniquely qualified. So her question was, what did people do before, how did people look up information before the internet? Now, a lot of people stopped and stitched the video there, but she went on to specify what she meant. Like, if you didn't know the name of an actor and none of your friends knew who it was, how did you find out who they were? And so the answer to that question is, we used to have these things called Leonard Maltin's movie guides. So anyway, Leonard Maltin would come out yearly with his movie guides and every year i would get my dad one that was like that was like the one thing we always knew he felt like we could get him for for christmas um and you know it would just have these huge indexes and each uh performer will be listed with all of their credits so you could easily look up uh an individual find out what their credits were and then you know like so if you knew that this actor that you couldn't remember the name of was in a uh, leonardo dicaprio movie you look up leo you find out what movies he's in and then you go to those movies and you start you start searching that's how we did it back then so you didn't just play six degrees like you just didn't do that all day well no we, we could we could do <laughs> six degrees but then we just all had to assume we knew what we were talking about we didn't have the oracle yeah, of bacon website <laughs> we, just, <laughs> we just had to we just had to hope to god we all knew what was going on but aj that's not what we're here to talk about today. what are we here to talk about today aj i want to play a game monopoly yes thanks for coming on the pod everyone it tears um, families apart it does but thankfully, we're not talking about that. We're talking about something else that te- tore families apart. The 2004 film Saw. Ooh. Now, I and I, I'm curious if you have a better answer for this, but I can't think of any, and, uh, except for like maybe Annabella or like The Conjuring. Maybe Annabella. those. Annabella. Annabelle, excuse me, not Annabelle. Like, who, is, uh, who, is, who is she? <laughs> <laughs> she's uh, she's a, a a Walmart brand Annabelle. Um, <laughs> So aside from maybe those, and even those I think would be a big stretch, I feel like the Jigsaw character of Saul is one of the last times we saw a character get created that continually comes back to haunt people over and over and over again in in subsequent films. Um, You're talking about the most latest one, right? Yeah, like the latest one. I was going to say, because you have like a you have Candyman. Ghost, Candyman, that, yeah. you've got Ghostface, you've got Freddy, you've got Jason. And that's, that's what I mean. It's like that that level of icon of horror franchise of a, of a character that gets created that keeps coming back to continually haunt audiences. Because with Annabelle, it's more like, I don't know, I, I guess it's, it feels more like we're just telling the story of this thing that does some haunting as opposed to were creating because with Annabelle, most of those things are based off like the the stories of the the couple that did yeah, those yeah, yeah. things. So it's more like uh, uh you know dramatic interpretations of potentially real events that are based on the lives of these two you know paranormal investigators versus the uh, these other films are are obvious fiction. They were created specifically for a horror purpose, and they have a central character who can who is a continuous uh, repetitive um need to fulfill his 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 killer desires right and i can't think of another one i can't think of another one that's that we've seen since that we've seen some recurrences of some old ones like uh pennywise from it or uh, what was the one you just mentioned uh, uh you talk about uh 
Uh, you know, I don't care remember what the fuck I should have said, guys. It's been a long day already. <laughs> you know, it's the morning. It's we're gonna 11, go. For, we're gonna go eleven in the morning. We're gonna go. For, you know, I should have got that charge lemonade. <laughs> Speaking of which, if you are not a member of the Sip Club, this is in no way, shape, or form a plug for Panera. But Panera, give me my fucking money. Um, <laughs> Sean and I have discovered the Sip Club. Well, I discovered it about a year ago, and I Sean's upset that I didn't tell him. You damn right, I am. <laughs> so you can get. I think it's like eleven ninety nine a month. You get unlimited drinks from Panera. It's pretty great. Yeah. So if you have a Panera near you, it's like, yeah, you can just live off that. So that's that's what we've been doing. But going back to what I was saying, though, I'm thinking. Well, you, you mentioned Beetlejuice. Yeah. Like even be- if we and obviously Beetlejuice is not in that yeah. category, but even if we use that, it's he already existed. There, two thousand four. To me, that's the latest time where we had a a new horror character that was going to be a continual staple yeah. in, in a series of horror films because i can even think like a pinhead from hellraiser sure it's but even him things, he's yeah. you know from the 80s yeah yeah they have a new pinhead coming out or a new hellraiser coming out or it already came out one of the two and it's one of those things where it's like yeah you're bringing back the old hauntings but there's there's really nothing new nothing that at least has been successful that's a good point yeah because um, there's definitely I, probably been attempts and we just didn't yeah. know about them because they didn't ha- have continual and we're gonna actually gonna talk about how this manifested into a continually successful franchise what about like the paranormal like no because that's different because yeah because yeah, it's not a different. there's no central character it's it's different ghosts or different demonic entities, entities. And... it's not one central character that's continually coming back to haunt um but let's let's dive in, shall okay. we? <laughs> I like to dive. So the 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 premise of Saw, very simple. A madman named Jigsaw creates elaborate puzzles to test his victims, and we will call them his victims, even though there is some debate on that within even within the film. Uh, creates elaborate tests to test his victims on whether or not they deserve the gift of life mm-hmm. that they've been given. And that's pretty much it. That's the premise. Um, now, last week, AJ did Knock at the Cabin. And that's an M. Night Shyamalan film, which are famous for twists. And it's interesting because Saw films, kind of equally famous for twists. Yeah, 100%. So we, we tend to get kind of a big reveal at the end of something we didn't see coming. And the first one, and this one, the 2004, even going back, knowing exactly what was going to happen, it was still incredibly exciting to get to see that, that twist end. So let's dive in. This one comes from director James Wan and writer uh, Lay Lay Winnell. What Lay Lay is that? The fuck L- are you saying? Like L L A Y L E I G H. That's that's like like Lay, isn't it? That's what? Isn't it? Is that no? What what is Lee Lee? How the fuck did you get Lee out of that? Are you illiterate? A little. No no. What? I, I spent all my time watching movies. What do you think Jeez. I'm reading? No. <laughs> Bro, you need to get your shit together. <laughs> it is Lee. So Lee Winnell, apparently. Yes, Lee. Uh, so director James Wan, Lee Winnell. Um, I didn't go digging into this. only for, And the only reason is because there's already so much content with Saw that, you know, <laughs> going to dig even further, it was like, well, I, I'm just going to be, this is going to turn into like a three-hour show if I, if I start adding too much. But... I got the distinct impression that they at least knew each other during film school. Um, and this was sort of a creation they both put together. So even though that Lee is credited as the writer, I think James definitely had a hand in it. But James Wan ultimately was the director of this film. Now, this was his directorial debut, which is impressive. 
Mm -hmm. uh, especially when Mm -hmm. we consider how many films this has spawned. And Um, while he's had some success, I will say he did fuck some stuff up recently. (laughs) I I feel like you're going to be talking about Malignant now. Yeah, yeah, the movie's a piece of shit. (laughs) I don't don't care what anyone says. This movie is so fucking terrible. It's... Watching this movie made me want to gouge my eyes out and then pull my eyes out, reinsert them again, look at the screen, and then do it all over again and like just repetition. Just be okay. like, so I, I just, you know, I could only associate pain with this movie. So you'd say when it comes to Melinda, you're a fan. Yeah, sure. We'll Got say it, that. Right. You cool. know, circus stuff. clown. Good stuff. Good stuff. <laughs> no, so you know, you know how they do the torture traps in Saw? Yeah, that's what I want to do. You want to do that yeah. when you watch Malignant. Yeah, yeah. Like if somebody gave you the choice of rewatch Malignant again or be in one of Jigsaw's puzzles, you'd be like, yeah, D- Jigsaw puzzle six days a week oh, yeah. and twice on Sunday. But he's had some great movies, though. He has. He's done. Uh, he also directed Conjuring's one and two, Insidious one and two. Um, Didn't he do like almost the entire Conjuring series? I think so. Yeah. And also Aquaman for some reason. Like that, that's such a weird <laughs> And that, like, we're going to see that twice on here. It's such a weird fucking credit. Like, you know, you're doing all these horror flicks and then you're like, you know what? Let's, let's do, let's do a movie about a fish man now. Like what, where the fuck did that come from? Well, I mean, we should probably make the distinction that there are some movies that he has just simply been a producer on and there's some that he's been a director on. He directed Aquaman, but he like produced the Conjuring. So it's really not he. Well, he did, he did, he directed Conjuring one and two, but he produced some of the other. Oh yeah. Sorry. So yeah. Yeah. So he's a producer there. Yeah. Um, it's, it, he has some great movies in his repertoire. I will say that like, it's kind of funny that he did saw and there's that character within that movie. That's sorry, like a dollish kind of figure, Billy. Wait, hold on. What? Billy. The, the doll like, from Jigs that doll. It has yeah. a fucking name. Yeah. Billy. It's got a goddamn name. He's the blue power ranger. Why the fuck is his name? Billy. I, I don't fucking know. I didn't come across this at all. Uh, no, his name? You, you don't know Billy? No. Everyone knew his name is Billy. Why the fuck would his name be Billy? <laughs> Just, okay, to clarify this for our audience, we're talking about the doll that appears within Saul. So within this film, there's kind of this... It's a very iconic representation of Jigsaw. Now, this, the doll is not Jigsaw. It's just a kind of a doll he uses to creep yeah. people out, I guess. And, and a, you know, that's really the only way to use it. And so sometimes when he's recording his videos to his victims, giving them the instructions for how to play the games, he'll use this doll. And AJ is now telling me this fucking doll has a name. And yeah. it doesn't have some name. It's not like the doll's name is not Jigsaw or, you know, like, um, I don't know. What what's like or death or the deliverer? It's Billy fucking Billy. <laughs> it's fucking Billy the puppet. Just Billy the look, puppet. Look, I'm looking it up right now. That you... is not how. That is not what Billy the puppet. Billy the puppet should be something that has Jeff Dunham's hand up its ass. All right, that's what <laughs> Billy the fucking puppet should be. Hey Sean. Yeah. <laughs> we can buy Billy on a tricycle for eighty nine ninety nine at Target. Oh, is that all? <laughs> <laughs> so if anybody wants to send us ninety dollars. <laughs> <laughs> Please don't fucking do that. Do not send us ninety dollars to buy a goddamn doll. No. I think with James's repertoire, though, he does a really great job in his movies. He knows how to do the suspense and everything like that. But I also think he has a fucking problem with dolls because he's produced, I think, three, not including like all of the fucking Jigsaw movies, but three different types of doll movies. I mean, dolls are creepy. I get it. Dead get Silence, it. Megan, and fucking uh saw i mean i get it he dolls are creepy did you see megan it was fucking creepy yeah fucking creepy i almost had a panic attack 
Now, speaking of producing, since we're talking about some of James Wan's uh, production credits, uh, the producers for this film were Greg Hoffman and Oren Cools. Now, Cools. Now, there was an interesting part about this. Um, so, uh, Greg mostly produced the Saw films, with a few exceptions, and Oren was mostly the same, but also did uh, Repo the Genetic Opera, which is Ooh, kind of badass. That's a good. We got to talk. And about we're going to be covering that in October. Absolutely. Now, AJ, didn't you tell me that Greg Hoffman uh, passed away? Yeah, he did. He uh, died in no, what, 2005? Yeah, 2005. But he's still but, credited. Yeah, he's still credited. <laughs> so, yeah, AJ, you and I are in the long, wrong line of work. You and I have to get our dumb asses up and and produce this show week after week. Okay. And we're getting okay. peanuts. And this son of a bitch, he fucking dies in 2005 and he's still getting paid. Wait, did you say peanuts? Yeah. What money are you seeing from this? I'm not. We're, we're literally getting peanuts. We literally have viewers send in peanuts. I never got... Are you hoarding all the peanuts? So the cast... Fucking IPTT traders. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, We're going to change the name of the show to I Pierce the Peanuts. <laughs> um, <laughs> so moving into our cast, Ooh. let's start off the top with Tobin Bell, who plays John Kramer. Now, like so many horror icons, such as Robert England... Uh, Tobin has plenty of credits, but you, this is what you're going to know him from. Yeah. So if you're thinking about Robert England, you're like, oh, yeah, sure. You know, he was also in that kind of horror reimagining of Phantom of the Opera, or I saw him in this, that, or the other. But it's like, no, you, you hear Robert England, you think Nightmare on Elm Street. You hear Tobin Bell, you're going to think Saul. Oh, yeah. that's, that's what he's famous for. But uh, some of the other things that he did do that were fairly, you know, well-known, um, he was in Mississippi Burning in 1988. Uh, and he was also in The Firm in 1993 with Tom Cruise. I had completely forgotten he was in that. He did a voice in The Road to El Dorado. Did he really? Yeah. Which one? Um, Zaragoza? But he was just grouped under like the voice talent. But he, I guess he was just one of the people in the, the audience. Gotcha. Now, I will note, uh, Tobin actually won't be in the latest iteration of Saw, which is actually coming out next month. So uh, kind of exciting news there. And kind of a, the reason why we're doing Saw this, uh, this week is kind of give you guys a little... Uh, a little refresher on the very first film that started the entire franchise yeah. and for which we're going to get yet another installment coming this October. Next we have uh, Lee. Yeah. Lee Winnell. Yeah. Lee. Lee Winnell. Lee. Lee Winnell. That that, I, I like how that kind of rolls together. Lee Winnell. That only sounds like one big name. Like I, like I want to name a kid Lee Winnell. <laughs> uh, who plays Adam. So again, he wrote the script for this film. Uh, he also wrote scripts for Insidious and the sequels. Um, as well as the latest adaptation of The Invisible Man with Elizabeth Mo- Elizabeth Elizabeth Moss. Elizabeth Moss. AJ, why can't I say Elizabeth Bo- Elizabeth Moss name? Because it's it's is it Kim Basinger. Is it Kim Basinger? Yeah, it's Basinger. 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 Basong. As far as acting, he's been in The Matrix Reloaded. Uh, obviously, he's been in several of the Saw films, despite the fact that there's going to be you know a reveal for this one uh, that he was in. Yeah. Uh, he's in several of the Insidious films, The Bye Bye Man, and then of course, because this is just the weird fucking thing with him and James and uh, him and James Wan, he was the cargo pilot in Aquaman. Like what the? F- so it's like I guess their friendship does not leave Lee wanting. I'm proud of you, <laughs> but I'm also disappointed. <laughs> I saw what you did there. Heyo! <laughs> Name of the movie. There it is. Next, uh, we have one of our. We have. Two pretty iconic actors next to discuss. First one, Carrie Elways, oh, yeah. who plays Dr. Lawrence Gordon. I'd say 
there's going to be very few of our audience members, even some of the the younger audience members that we have that might be in their, you know, like their teens that are probably not going to at least have some semblance of knowing who Carrie always is. Yeah. Uh, he's had a storied career from romantic classics like The Princess Bride to comedic classics like Robin Hood, Men in Tights, Twister, Liar Liar, Hot Shots, The Crush, Kiss the Girls. He's he's done voiceover work like Batman Beyond. He had a story arc as a famous art thief on Psych. Uh, more recently, he was Mayor Larry Klein on Stranger Things. Um, he's going to be in the mo- he was in the most recent Mission Impossible film. He's going to be Cruise. in the really cool Rebel Moon movie that's going to be coming out. I, it, so uh, super like, stoked! Literally, about that. the man has done it all. I mean, thrillers, comedies, television, t- uh, film. Uh, he, he just he does it all. Action, for God's sakes! I mean, just unbelievably storied career. Now that I have thoroughly uh, <laughs> filleted the man, now I have to talk about some of the bad. Because he actually filed a lawsuit against the producers of this film. Is, is it, Does it have to do with something along the lines of what like the WGA is fighting right now? No, he just he said that something was promised to him. And then, so he claimed that he, he had been promised 1% of the profit, which would have been pretty considerable, considering yeah. that this was very, you know, the, the film earned like over 100 million globally. And I guess he didn't get that. Uh, the case was like finally settled out of court, but because of those disagreements, he actually chose not to be involved with any of the sequels until Saw 3D came out in 2010. So yeah. we're talking like six year, and in that six years, a lot of a lot of Saw films came out. And there was a big reveal in Saw 3D, so it's like, oh my god. Oh yeah, it was it was actually really cool the the reveal because yeah. And we'll, we'll we'll get into that, but um, you know, little spoiler alert for the end of this film. We don't actually know that, like at the end of this film, we don't know the fate of Dr. Lawrence Gordon. We don't know what happens. Or, or, uh, not Lee, we're now. Um, what's his name? Andy? Adam? Yeah, no, we, we know what happened to Adam. Well, I mean, you don't really know what no, happened. No, okay, to Adam. you're right. You find out what happened to Adam in Saw 2. Yeah, <laughs> pretty <Yeah. quickly. laughs> I mean, it's, it's towards the end, but you do find out. It is towards the end. I actually, I did the same thing you and, uh, you and your fiance did. I, I was started going back and watching all the Saw films. Yeah, we Because they're so great. Yeah, they're so, so fucking great. Uh, next, we have Danny Glover, who plays Detective David Tao. Oh, I love Danny Glover. Another Hollywood legend. Um, and it's pretty easy to determine where everybody's going to remember him from. They're going to remember him from the Lethal Weapon films with Mel Gibson. What? No, Angels in the Outfield and Operation Dumbo Drop. <laughs> what the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> fuck out of here. Get out of here. Uh, but Glover has had 196 credits since 1978. And to you try to even cover all of them, like, I'm so glad you came up with a couple examples because I didn't, I was like, no, I'm not going to try to cover all of them on this <laughs> He's pod. He's done so many of so them. So I'll note my favorites. Uh, my favorite is actually The Rainmaker, which is funny because I like how you use like more like comedies and children's <laughs> films. <laughs> That's what I liked. My favorite was The Rainmaker, uh, where he played a judge alongside Matt Damon and Danny DeVito. And then he actually has a recent film coming out called Double Souls. He's in the film with Julian Sands. You remember Julian Sands? Ooh, yeah, I know. It's, this will be really? this will be Julian Sands' final film, obviously, because uh, as people may may or may not know, we actually lost Julian Sands. Was it this year or last year? I think it was this year. Yeah, in uh, it was. I think it was in one of the fires or a disaster or something. He was unfortunately uh, the performer Julian Sands was on a hike, and so I think it was like a hurricane or something hit, and they lost track of him. And unfortunately, they didn't. Yeah, they didn't find him. It was for this year. Weeks. Yeah, it was this year. So. So he he he's appearing in the final film Double Souls with Julian Sands. So that's pretty cool. 
He was also Jethro in The Prince of Egypt, so that... Julian Sands or Danny Glover? Danny Glover. Oh, yeah. Like I said, he's got 196 he's got credits. He's so many. He has 196 fucking credits. The man loves to work. And since 1978. Holy oh, yeah. shit. I will tell you that probably one of my all-time favorite roles that he's been is kind of a bit role. It's another voice acting role. It's in the movie called Ants, where he gets his fucking head cut off. Jesus. His name is Barbados. <laughs> and he's just like... Like a dark. <laughs> no, the funny part of this movie is like, he's like, help me up, Zeke, where his head's cut off, and he just picks it up, and he's carrying him around. Now, I, I'll say that Danny is definitely not the, the main character of this film, but, you know, he's got several scenes. Oh, yeah. You know how many days it took him to get all of his stuff taken care of for this film? One? Two days. Really? Got that's it all knocked out in two days. That's a good little paycheck right there. Yeah, right? Two days of work and just done? Oh, man. Uh, next, we have Ken Leung, who plays Stephen Singh. And, yeah, he's got a lot of great credits. Um, so let's just dive in here. Uh, most notably, probably most people are going to remember him as Miles from Lost. But he was also in, uh, you, you were talking about that film Old, so he was in yeah. that with M. Night. He was Admiral Satura in The Force Awakens. Uh, he's done films like Family Man, Keeping the Faith, uh, Rush Hour. Yeah, he was um, saying. Yeah. Uh, as well as numerous TV spots, such as like Oz, Person of Interest, and The Blacklist. So he's he's done quite a lot of work too. So my my role that I know him from is um, X Men: The Last Stand, where he played Quill. His, his fucking power was just he could shoot quills out of his body. And that Wait, was, it. was was he one of the ones that Magneto like? They went to that like little underground yeah. place, and there's like those three whatever, and then one of them, one like, of the one of the three, has the ability to tell like what level of mutant yeah. you are. Okay, yeah, he's I, in I that little group. That. Yeah, yeah. Next we have. Oh, <laughs> got I got to focus in on AJ for when I say this name. Hold on, here we go. Next we have Dina Meyer. I know Dina Meyer. I know you know Dina yeah, Meyer. Dina. Who doesn't know Dina Meyer? I know her from one movie in particular. Is it is it Starship Troopers? It is fucking yeah, Starship Troopers. <laughs> yeah, it is. <laughs> for those what? that are unfamiliar, uh, Dina has several nude scenes in Starship Troopers, and she is an absolutely gorgeous. Woman. Yes, she is. She is a fun and and honestly, strangely, a phenomenal actor but you don't really get to see her in a lot so i don't know if that's no. a, a choice or if it's a typecast or what because i would have loved to have seen dina meyer in more stuff over the years but uh she actually has some impressive credits uh she's uh, she's been in american horror story she was in johnny mnemonic did you know that i completely well, forgot she, she was in, it's yeah. been a long time since i've seen johnny mnemonic i want to watch it again because it's i, I mean, watched a really recently. great keanu film yeah and i just i did not it, it didn't click for me that uh, that carrie meyer was in that uh or dina meyer excuse me she plays carrie in the film by the way she was also in Star Trek Nemesis. I do remember her from that. But again, like most, like AJ and I alluded to, most people are going to remember has uh, Dizzy Flores yeah. from Starship Troopers. So, uh, but yeah, pretty, it's funny because Starship Troopers, I think most people would agree, it wasn't the greatest film ever, but it was a fun film and it, and it, and it was very outside of the scope of the book. It is spooky season, so we could do Starship that is, Troopers. No, that's an action it's film. That's not a horror spooky. film. That is an action film. It's spooky. I like it. Not spooky. <laughs> uh, next, we have Shawnee Smith, who played Amanda. Shawnee got her start pretty young, around 14, uh, but was quickly able to book The Blob, Leaving Las Vegas. She had a small role in Armageddon, uh, and I'm going to see... Do you remember her from yeah, Armageddon? Yeah, I do. She was in, she was in the scene with... Um, uh, Steve Buscemi. Yeah, Steve Buscemi scene. And he's like, oh, that's a big diamond. That's her. Yeah, and that's her. She, and he's like, oh, but that's not a diamond. And she's like, what? He's like, do you want to drink? She's like, yeah. I told Amanda that when we were watching this. I was like, that, I know her. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> she was in The Island. 
She was the also Island. which one is that one? The Island. Uh the the one where uh we talked about it on the Michael Oh, Michael Clark Duncan, Michael Clark Duncan one, episode cuz I think it's... there's like a couple Island movies I'm you're, No, you're sure. right, but it's that one. She okay. was she was in that one. She was also in a short version of Repo the Genetic Opera and she played like a, a the role of Heather and it surprisingly has a lot of the same cast as the film. But yeah, there's like a there's a short of it, which is was, interesting. Was this whenever they were trying to get the movie made and they did like the stage production version of it? Possibly, because interestingly enough, apparently that's that's a fairly common thing. Like they even did that with Saw. They had a uh, uh, like they 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 did like some some concept like a concept short of yeah. Saw of what it would look like, and they used that to sell the film to uh to studios it's like the mortal Kombat movie uh conquest i think it was whatever it was like a little online short where they were trying to like say this would be mortal Kombat in this universe they kind of did right. the same thing yeah. yeah so i'm i guess maybe that's what it was but it had some of the same people in it so uh yeah pretty cool fun fact shawnee actually ended up with this role because amy lippins the casting agent asked james wan the director who he wanted to play amanda and he said shawnee on a whim from having had a crush on her as a teenager. Really? Yeah. That's fucking hilarious. Isn't that great? Like, just just imagine somebody calls you up and be like, hey, you want to be in this film? Like, I've never even heard of this. Why Why were you, why, uh, why are you guys uh, considering uh, me? It's like, oh, the director thinks you're hot. <laughs> I'd be like, well, well, well thank you. Well, well thanks, I guess. Uh, and then finally, and there's, there's, there's a few other actors in this uh, film, but we're not going to go into some of them just because there's, there's really not a lot of need for them. Um, but the final one we're going to talk about is Michael Emerson, who plays Zip, Zep, excuse me, Hindle. Along with Ken Leung, uh, Michael's probably most known for being Ben on Lost, but he's also Harold Finch on Person of Interest. Uh, most recently, he's been with Leland Townsend on the show Evil, with Michael Coulter and Katya Herbers. So mostly what I know Michael from is television. I, I, I think he's got like a film credit here or there, but he's, he's pretty big in TV. He usually gets like these really big roles on some pretty well-known tv spots i'm not gonna let sean skip over two characters real quick it's very quick i'm gonna talk about them but diana gordon and allison gordon they play the 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 mother and daughter yeah Yeah. i I purposely left them out because i mean they're integral to the story but we don't get enough characterization from them in terms of the like in terms of moving the plot forward They are not integral to, and I guess here's my thing. They're, they're the I, driving force for Gordon trying to get the fuck out of what he's trying to get out of. Here's the thing, though. If you look at every person I listed on this thing, every single one of them had the potential to be Jigsaw. They like As you're watching the film, so imagine That's you don't true. know how that it ends. That is true. Every single one of these people could have been the person gotcha. that was doing all this. That's why I left out the mother and daughter, because in my mind, they were never suspects. That's but cool. That's any true, of the though. cops could have been Jigsaw. The doc, Dr. Gordon could have been Jigsaw. Adam could have been Jigsaw. Um, my, you know, Zep, obviously, there, you know, he could have been Jigsaw. Yeah. Uh, John could have been Jigsaw. Everybody in this thing could have been Jigsaw, but they couldn't. I mean, but it's mostly because the, the fucking... You got Alexa Vega, who we were just talking about, Repo. Her fucking sister's in this movie. Oh, is she the daughter? She's the daughter. Oh, wow, okay. And then the girl from Patch Adams and Con Air, she's the wife. Yeah, the, don't get me wrong. The wife has got some great credits. She's a, she's a well-known performer. But the characters themselves aren't. But the characters themselves, because obviously the driving force of Saw is, who is Jigsaw? Who is who is the mastermind behind all of this? Who are you? <laughs> <laughs> I like how we just went to CSI for some reason. Um, so let's talk some fun facts, because ooh, ooh, fun we facts. can't talk about Saw even the first one, because we're only discussing the first film. Oh, today. yeah. 
But we can't even talk about it without discussing the incredible franchise that this film produced. So, 18 days, AJ. That's how long it took him to put this film together. Which is crazy because there's so much that goes into it. It does, if you watch it now on like a 4K TV, I will say there is some filming that goes on that seems a little under underwhelming i can say but it's just because it's it's newer technology i think i can tell you a reason for that the intent there was they were never supposed to film outside of that room so without getting without getting too much in the plot yet most of the action of this film takes place inside of a dirty abandoned bathroom um you know and and when i say bathroom like it also has like a tub in there it's very grimy and very gross looking poo in the toilet (laughs) (laughs) there is some poo in the toilet um and the intent was to film it all in one room. That was that was kind of the, the challenge that James Wan and Lee Whannell kind of set for themselves is to make a film that took place entirely in one location. So expanding it out, I think, was a decision to really round out some of the characterization. But um, but that was the original intent. So you're you're not you're not wrong. What you're noticing there is probably you know some. Uh, aspect of that intent but uh yeah 18 days a 1.2 million dollar budget which they keep talking about like in the notes and everything of the film and and some of the cast interviews they keep talking about how it wasn't that much of a budget it's like that's a pretty decent budget for no it's not though think about it but think about some of the other films where their budgets were like 200 grand but you have to think about the casting as well when you're trying to pay oh, all of your actors point. and actresses that is a very small well, budget. Obviously, they didn't. That's why Carrie Elwes sued them. <laughs> I mean, there's Carrie Elwes so, and there's so Danny clearly Glover. they didn't have to worry about that. I mean, when, <laughs> when you're trying to pay all these people, that's a very small budget. I suppose you're right because those are some big names. Those are some big names. Um, it was in, originally intended for a straight-to-video release, but after the positive screenings, it was given the nod to become a premier Ooh. film. Now, the MPAA, who is actually the organization, uh, motion picture... Um, was it something association? Something association. Motion picture and association. Um, they actually originally rated the film NC seventeen. Anglers Association. What the? I don't. Fuck? I don't think. I don't think it's anglers. That's, that's 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 a whole different thing. That's that's not that's not film. <laughs> but actually, due to the film's tone, was why it got the NC seventeen. So James Wan actually had to remove some of the content. So some of the things they changed was um, Amanda sifting through the intestines. Apparently, they you know quite a bit of that got cut out. Did uh, you say in? What did you say in or M? M. Okay, that's motion why I was picture. like, "What the fuck?" Now? Motion Picture Association of America. Yeah, Motion Picture Association. There we go. Yeah. So some of the shots they changed: uh, Amanda sifting through the intestines, Paul, uh, and we don't we didn't go into who Paul is, but uh, we will get to him uh, within the plot of the film. Paul struggling through the razor wire. Um, and then some of the forensic, like as they're doing like the forensic shots, as the yeah. police are discovering the 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 horrible scenes after Jigsaw has done his games. Some of those were were kind of modified and cut down. And then apparently the color was made more even, and the sound was altered, and that somehow got them down to an R rating. Like I don't know how the fuck that works, but that's you, that's impressive. Do you wonder if the reason that the rating that they tried to give him was so harsh is because this and. I remember watching this for the first time and being like, that was so realistic on how they depicted some of these things. Do you think that's why? Because essentially it's not as bad as hostile, but it's almost like watching a fucking snuff film. I mean, it could be, but, uh, and and maybe that's what they mean when they say the color was made more even in the sound altered. Maybe they found a way to, 
kind of change the color tones in the film to to put some distance between the viewer and the film. Or like that way you didn't have that. Because like Hostel, yeah, you're right. And I think they did the same. Like I feel like Hostel had the same kind of colorization, you know, yeah. di- disassociation. So that way you didn't feel completely like it was just watching a snuff film. Yeah. So you're, you may be right. Uh, Saw 2, which came was released uh, the following year in 2005, it was approved for production the weekend this film opened. So they opened this film. People went and saw it. It was such a hit. They were like, yep, let's get another one. Green light. Let's make this a series. Let's do this again. (laughs) It is actually the fifth highest grossing horror franchise. Can you guess what the first is? Of horror? Of horror. Of a a horror franchise. I'm going to assume it's probably Halloween. It's not. It's, It's not one of the big ones you would think. Really? It's it's one that we have talked about on the show today so far. The Conjuring? The Conjuring. I know. I couldn't believe it either. But yeah, The Conjuring worldwide box office gross for all the films, $2 billion. $2 billion, uh, $2,291,000,000. What is Saw sit at? Saw is $1,012,000,000. So James Wan is getting that money. Oh, James Wan's getting paid. Okay. Oh, yeah. James Wan's getting himself paid. Okay, this is, That's a smart man right there. <laughs> As of, I believe it's actually going to be coming out on the, I want to say the 29th. So by the time this podcast released, you got like two days before the, the next Saw film yeah. comes out. So as of the 29th of this month, there will have been 10 Saw films. So we've got Saw. Good Lord. Saw 2. Saw 3. Saw 4. Saw five. Oh, I can count too. Saw six. Is it seven? No, it's not. (laughs) You got me. You got it. It's it's fun. (laughs) Uh, Saw 3D. Oh, okay. Uh, The next one was Jigsaw. Um, The the one after that, and I think the most recent before this next iteration, Spiral. The one that's it's it's more of a. I, I guess like a offshoot, but it's it's definitely within the Saw universe. I haven't seen it yet. So. Uh, I haven't either, but uh, I, I I'm probably gonna watch it after we finish here. Uh, and then of course the next one. I don't know if it's Saw Ten or Saw X, but it's it is the tenth film. Yeah. So uh, I'm assuming it's ten, but probably. Yeah. So now AJ, let's get to some of the important questions here before we jump into the plot. Who's Sam Elliott playing in this film? <laughs> I think he could play. I think he could play Jigsaw. Really? Yeah. Sam Elliott? Would you like to play a game? <laughs> How would you all like to play a game? <laughs> so I stroke my mustache. See, I'm thinking David Tapp. I'm thinking the detective. Really? Because... Uh, he did have a gravely voice, too. Gravely, gra- gravely but also... Voice. Uh, here's what I'm imagining. Do you remember the movie Thank You for Smoking? Yes. Okay. Do you remember um, uh, Sam Elliott in that film? Yes. Okay. You know, he was disheveled. Uh, he's the former Marble Man. Um, you know, the, the cancer has really started to affect him. And he's, he's incredibly, you know, just uh, kind of a miserly, angry, bitter old man, right? Yeah. That, I could see him with that long hair where he's just kind of peering through and he's just very angry and very vengeful almost. You put that in the role of David Tapp and I think it works really well. Yeah. Okay. I could see that. So, AJ, let's hop in. Let's play a game. So Adam and Lawrence wake up in a disgusting bathroom, each chained to a pipe on opposite walls by their ankle. A body lays in the middle of, a f- of the floor in a pool of blood, a revolver in one hand, 
a tape recorder in the other. Adam and Lawrence exchange few words before realizing they each have an envelope in their pocket, each with a tape and Lawrence's additionally with a bullet and a key, which fails to open any of the locks holding the two men captive. After obtaining the tape recorder, they listen to their tapes. Adam is a voyeur who spent his life watching, but he's going to have to do more than watch to escape. Lawrence delivers the news of death every day, but now he must deliver death himself to survive by killing Adam. These are the instructions delivered by the mysterious man on the recordings. Adam is told if he doesn't escape, the room will become his tomb. Lawrence is told if he does not kill Adam, not only will he rot in the room, but his wife, Allie, and daughter Diana will be killed. They have until 6 o'clock. Three clues are offered on the tapes. X marks the spot. There is poison in the blood. And a whisper at the end of the tape. Follow your heart. They quickly realize there's a heart on the toilet. Inside the tank is a bag with two hacksaws, which will prove useless on the chains. Adam tosses the bag into a nearby tub with a suspicious look on his face. As their attempts to cut the chains with the saws fail, the realization comes to Lawrence. The saws aren't meant to release them by cutting their chains. With that epiphany, Lawrence suddenly realizes who's to blame for their imprisonment as the scene flashes back to the three police officers in a series of discoveries that reveal more about the infamous Jigsaw who has created the game Adam and Lawrence find themselves in. From a dead man entangled in razor wire to a body burned to a crisp, we learn through the eyes of Carrie and detectives Tap and Singh how Jigsaw creates scenarios intended to test the resolve of his victims, a test that more often than not leads to the death of the unwitting player. That would piss me right the fuck off. <laughs> <laughs> Why is that, AJ? Because there I am just trying to do my thing, maybe getting a sippy, maybe maybe going out just living my life, going to, you know, maybe getting a... Uh, a nice little fresh hash brown if I'm feeling frisky. And the next thing I do, I'm wake, like I wake up and I'm just fucking trapped. I'm like, what, what about my sip club? I don't know what the fuck to do anymore. And I think it's, it's you know, I'm, I'm glad you kind of uh, interjected this because it's a good point to talk about how there is literally discussion within the film of whether Jigsaw is actually a killer because he doesn't technically kill anyone. He puts people in the scenarios to choose whether or not they're going to survive. He basically puts them in a survival scenario and gives them an opportunity to save their own life. Yeah, I think it's still murder by association, 100%. And I'm glad you say that because there's actually lawyers who have, you know, kind of like responded to the film or whatever. And they're like, yeah, he's still guilty (laughs) of like conspiracy to commit murder. Like, I think it was like second degree murder. Like, he's still definitely guilty of murder because... Without his interjection, this scenario never would have taken place. He is still definitely a fucking murderer. It's like that, um, I forget her name, but that young woman that basically was sending all of those texts to her boyfriend that was getting ready to kill himself, and she kept telling him, no, get back in the oh, car and everything yeah, like that. Oh, that's right. She did get charged, She I did believe. get charged. Yeah, I, I think, think she was convicted. Yeah, yeah she was convicted. Right. I, I do remember that story. The three law enforcement officers revealed Jigsaw leaves behind the tape recorders with the instructions to his victims, takes a piece of skin from his victims in the shape of a jigsaw, and always ensures he has a front row seat to his little games. Now this gets a bit confusing, but we're now with Lawrence in the hospital in the past. Mm-hmm. Events that occurred before his kidnapping, where he's 
presenting a patient in the typical cold and callous way doctors tend to present patients while on rounds. An orderly interrupts and notes the patient's name is John and is a very interesting man. Lawrence dismisses the orderly, Zepp, mm-hmm. and attempts to continue rounds, only to be paged to his office where the detectives are waiting. And a fun fact, the identity of the killer is actually review, revealed right during there. rounds. Yep. It's actually revealed there, and we're going to get into how it's revealed. Like, it's not revealed in, like, the killer happens to be in no. a room or something like that. It's there's a, there's a context clue literally in that room that tells us exactly who the yeah, killer is. You have to be able to pay attention, because you can clearly see what it is. Yep. Because it's... It's pretty damning. Yeah, it's pretty damning. <laughs> like, it's almost a little too damning. Like, how did nobody look at that and go, wait a minute. Um, <laughs> what the what, fuck what is you, he doing over what, here? What are you doing over there, man? Uh, I'm fucking dying. <laughs> <laughs> the detectives have him as the... The detectives have Lawrence as their prime suspect. But Lawrence has an alibi that checks out, which eventually leads, the, uh, leads us to the police station, where they ask Lawrence to listen to the testimony of a woman, Amanda, who survived Jigsaw's game. Amanda's flashback has three of the most recognizable symbols of this franchise. Mm-hmm. The reverse bear's trap that will rip her face open if she doesn't get out in time. The creepy doll, who now know his name is fucking Billy. 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 So disappointed in that. Billy. Often associated with Jigsaw. And these iconic lines Jigsaw delivers. I want to play a game. Live or die. Make your choice. This, I think, was the first time I'd ever saw not true horror, but someone that was reacting to the situation in one of the most real ways possible. How she acts in this scene is clearly just, a, like, she's very terrified, and it's so real, you almost feel like, oh my god, if she doesn't get out of this, she she is going to die. Yeah, Shawnee Smith definitely, I, I don't think this film would have been able to garner the reaction from audience that it did if it weren't for Shawnee Smith. Oh yeah, for sure. It, it's crazy, because within this film, her part is very small. Like, we literally just go to Shawnee, we do this scene, she has some some a little bit of dialogue after with the detectives, and then she's not in the rest of this film. But Everything about her scene is so important. It introduces us to Billy the doll. Mm-hmm. It introduces us to those famous phrases. Because I, I, I went back and I don't think he ever says, says I want to play a game until this one. Yeah. And this is also the first one that we see Jigsaw, instead of a tape recorder, does a video instead with Billy like you know doing the voicing, right? And then the live or die, make your choice. Now, I think he did maybe say that previous. Um, this but, is also the first time that you see that Jigsaw's traps are escapable if you just do what he says. Yeah, if you if you follow the rules. But, you know, most of the time it's set up in... Well, I don't know, because the Razor one... And we didn't go too deep into it because I'm trying to make sure that we get all the content in here. But the Razor one was essentially a guy who had com- attempted... Uh, it was about a guy who had attempted suicide. And so Jigsaw puts him in a cage full of razor wire and tells him that he has like some sort of poison in his blood. I think is what, it, or no, uh, he tells him that if he doesn't get out of the cage, that the door is going to, the seal. door is going to seal shut and he'll be in there forever. And I don't know. Like the, the amount of time he had, like it would have killed him. Like there's no way to get through that razor wire without getting completely fucked up. And the guy, and that's exactly what happened. The guy tried to crawl through the razor wire and it basically slit, slit him open uh, like everywhere. They even talked about finding like, stomach bile on the ground because he got cut open so much now is this the one where they had the guy that was burnt alive or is that the second one that's the second okay, one okay. now that one also a very hard one i don't know the one that amanda gets put through so to you know since we're going into it we'll go into each of the individual ones 
the burnt guy, his was a candle, and he has he's covered in or there's a he's he's been poisoned, and the anecdote is in a safe, and he's been covered in a, a flammable solution. And he has to try to put in the combination on the safe, which is written somewhere on the wall, and the wall is completely covered in numbers. Yeah. So it could be the combination could be literally anything on this wall, and he has to do it before that candle either goes out or burns him to death or the poison kills him. I don't know. I don't see that one being very attainable either, because it's like, yeah, you maybe you'll find the right combination in time, maybe you won't. Now with Amanda, I don't know, I felt like hers, she was given a pretty attainable task. There's a man on the floor. There's a key inside of him, and she has to freaking rip him open, get the key, and unlock. Like, there's no, like, she, like, and I, well, maybe so she, she got the maybe. jigsaw for dummies version. <laughs> is that, what you're is that why you were smiling just now? Yeah. You were just waiting I, to that I joke. thought about that. I was like, <laughs> she, she got, got a jigsaw light. She got jigsaw for Billy. Um, <laughs> jigsaw <so>. zero. <laughs> so, fun fact uh, Director James Wan actually built that doll. Really? Yeah, he made that. Yeah. Yeah, paper, he's paper mache. He's I don't know. I didn't <laughs> I, I didn't want to know more than that. I was like, okay, fine, he made the doll. Let's not get into this. So obviously, you know, like I was saying, Amanda manages to dig through the live man's abdomen to find the key to her freedom. Her survival, however, is not the most striking detail of this testimony. But it was this exchange. Are you grateful, Mandy? It's pretty damning because that's kind of what you start to realize is Jigsaw's point. He thinks he's helping people by either letting them die and, and you know, giving up the gift of life they're clearly taking for granted yeah. or giving them the chance to truly appreciate it. And here's Amanda, who we find out was a drug addict and, uh, you know, uh, uh, had been to jail and had served some time. Here we find out that she's actually grateful for what happened to her. She feels like this is what her wake-up call was. And that's that's just crazy. And I don't I don't think you actually find out to the second one that the really re, um, that the reason he's doing what he's doing is because people are missing the survival instinct and that's why he carves that puzzle piece out of them. Exactly, cuz there was a and he says that missing. in the second film that there was a piece missing of them that that thing that makes them human. And it's it's probably because of that that we actually see Amanda return in the subsequent films. Exactly, uh, and I won't go into that just in case we ever decide to, you to know, cover Saw two fucking but, films. But Amanda does make uh, more appearances in later Saw films. Now we're back in the bathroom. Tensions are beginning to escalate as Adam discovers a two-way mirror concealing a camera. The men are being watched, and of course that makes sense because as we've come to find out, Jigsaw likes to watch his puzzles unfold. Mm-hmm. At this point, we start doing a lot of jumping around, and that's that's kind of a thing that happens within these films. Is you, you kind of start f- moving around in time to to you know kind of pull the story together. I think is that a way to confuse the audience so you never truly know what's going on? I'm not sure. I'm not sure really whether it was just a a, a good plot device in order to uh, you know build the narrative because obviously we don't want to know who. Like if we went back and we saw we saw Jigsaw setting up all of his puzzles right away. And we started, you know, and we did everything just yeah. chronologically. Well, like then David we'd know everything from the very beginning. It wouldn't be very fun. So I think it's more, you know, like when you said kind of confusing. Yeah, I think it's a way of ensuring the audience is given the information they need at the time they need it to keep the suspense moving and mm. also to not reveal until the very end. 
Lawrence again flashes back to the last moments he spent with his wife and daughter as Diana complains that a man is in her closet, and Diana's the daughter, just a reminder there. As we come to the present, this presents Lawrence the opportunity to share photos with Adam. Adam, however, discovers a photo in Lawrence's wallet of Allie and Diana bound and gagged. The back of the photo offers an additional clue about the ex in the room. Adam keeps the photo from Lawrence, likely to spare him from the trauma of seeing his wife and daughter bound and gagged. The scene then flashes back to Allie and Diana, confirming that there was a man in the closet. The scene then flashes forward to the kidnapper, face unseen, intimidating the bound wife and daughter for his own sick pleasure. We get a momentary glimpse of the kidnapper, confirming that it's Zepp, the orderly. Mm -hmm. The shot turns to a camcorder-style image of Zepp peering out the window and zooms out to show someone is watching Zepp. Detective Tapp has posted himself in the room across the street from the Gordon's house, the walls adorned with newspaper clippings of what appear to be articles about Jigsaw. Now, fun fact, the text of those newspapers, so it shows a lot of headlines that yeah. like, talk about Jigsaw, but the text of the clippings have nothing to do with their headlines. Really? Uh, like, one of them is about Stanley Kubrick. <laughs> like it just, they just took, like, random clippings, and they just changed the headlines to be, like, Saw, or, or to be Jigsaw, or, or the case-oriented, mm -hmm. whatever. It's fun. A flashback then takes us back to Detective Tapp's perspective. We're given further insight into how obsessed with the Jigsaw case Detective Tapp became, pining over the details in the video from Amanda's kidnapping. Because as I mentioned before, Jigsaw always leaves behind the recordings or the tapes. I think personally that has something to do with this killer truly believes in what he's doing and doesn't feel like he needs to destroy or hide the evidence. Yeah. He wants it to be found exactly as it was. He's pining over the details in the video from Amanda's kidnapping. He discovers a wall with graffiti markings and the sound of a fire alarm that gives Detective Tap and Sing a location of where Jigsaw is hiding. While the duo are able to corner and confront a hooded Jigsaw with his face obscured in his hideout, unfortunately, Jigsaw's deadly puzzles extend to his lair, and Detective Tap is, is incapacitated with a slash to the throat while Detective Singh is killed by a tripwire attached to several shotguns. This is where it gets crazy for me, because it's like the entire series could have been done if they would have caught him right, right there. They could have caught him right there, and the whole thing would have been over, because we see in Saw 2 that when the cops show up to get to get Jigsaw, he was wanting that. He planned that. Oh, he, yeah. He, he, like, he had a whole scenario planned out for that. He did not plan for Singh and Tap to show up here. But... He's smart enough that he was able to get out of it. Would you say, because he, he goes on to say that he's not a killer. I think 100% he's, he is responsible for killing Singh. Oh, 100%. Oh, he absolutely is. He, he, to him, he's convinced himself, well, I was running away from you and you chased me. Therefore, you, you know, your death is on you. No, he totally killed Singh killed by him. setting a fucking trap that he knew that somebody might walk through. I'm sorry, if I... If I put a bear trap in the middle of my living room and you walk in and step in the fucking thing, that's my goddamn fault. <laughs> it's not like, well, AJ, AJ knew the risks AJ, of walking AJ in a living room. AJ should have stepped in that, that trap. Right? AJ should have known the risks of walking in a living room. Get the fuck out of here. That's not a thing. Back in the present, we now understand how Detective Tapp's obsession turned into madness with the loss of his partner. We return to Adam and Lawrence in the bathroom. Adam encourages Lawrence to turn off the lights based on the clue he got from the picture in Lawrence's, of Lawrence's wife and child. They discover an X on the wall revealing a hidden compartment with a locked box. 
a lock that's opened by the key Lawrence originally received in his envelope. The box contains a cell phone, a cigarette, a lighter, and a note that tells Lawrence he doesn't need a gun to kill Adam, and hints once again at the poisoned blood of the man on the floor. And you can kind of tell the insinuation here is that dip the cigarettes in the blood and then give it to Adam, because Adam kind of starts being like, ooh, cigarettes, mm-hmm. give me one. I, I want to smoke. He's a smoker. Okay, cool. Lawrence tries the phone to discover it can only receive calls, which jogs his memory to when he was kidnapped from the parking lot from the night before. Again, this is another time where I would have to say that Jigsaw's a fucking killer because he's pushing Gordon to kill Adam. But if Gordon does kill Adam, then Jigsaw is responsible for Adam's death. Yes, he forced Gordon to do it. Oh, absolutely. If I hold a gun to your head and tell you if you don't kill a person A, I'm going to kill you, you're not responsible. I am. Yeah, I, exactly. I ultimately pulled that trigger. And I think any court of law would see it that way. That, I'm, you know, I'm, I guess I'm trying to beat a dead horse where he is. He's a fucking killer. Of course he is. He's absolutely a fucking murderer. I don't like they may play the little semantic bullshit in the fucking movie. But I think every lawyer who's like jokingly decided to look at this film and like do a YouTube video on it. Every single one of them has come to the conclusion like, yeah, he, he he's is a totally a fucking killer. murderer. He's, a, he's, a fucking he's absolutely guilty of murder. Lawrence devises a plan to try to fool Jigsaw into thinking he's given Adam the poison cigarette. Despite Adam's best impression of a man dying from a poison-tipped <laughs> cigarette, Jigsaw anticipated a possible ruse and sends a bolt of electricity through Adam's chains. <laughs> I, I just got electrocuted! Adam then flashes back to his own kidnapping. From his apartment, complete with a photo darkroom where he was developing pictures of... Lawrence... Dun, dun, dun. Do, do, twisty, twisty, shimmy, Adam whammy. knew Lawrence all along. Back in the bathroom, Lawrence receives a call from Allie and Diana. It's clear Allie is being fed lines from the kidnapper as she relays to Lawrence not to believe Adam's lies, saying Adam already knows Lawrence, as we as the audience also know oh, yeah. because we obviously saw the photos. Adam reveals he's been following and taking pictures of Lawrence for several days presenting photos as evidence from the bag he threw into the tub earlier, thus the suspicious look. Adam's job is to take pictures of rich guys cheating on their wives, a trespass Lawrence is, in fact, guilty of. He kind of tries to claim that he never actually did it, and we don't actually see it, we just see that he kind of shows up to this seedy hotel room with a woman, and there's kind of a, a suspected intimate moment, so we can't really say for sure, but clearly he was at least thinking about it. Yeah, he was, the intention was there. Just because you didn't pull the trigger, you still raised the gun. (laughs) At first, the duo believe the person who hired Adam must be the culprit, but quickly realize Detective Tap hired Adam as part of his ongoing refusal to let go of the idea that Lawrence is Jigsaw. So this entire time, Tap has never given up the idea that Dr. Lawrence Gordon was Jigsaw the whole time. Which does end up helping out in another way, but not the way that he wanted it to go. Very true. This is where shit starts to escalate fast. These events all begin to happen in quick succession, which has become a staple of the Saw films. So I'm going to run through them in a very, very quick succession, much like the film does. You talk about the flashbacks where it like puts it all together? No, it's not, a fl- it's not the flashbacks putting it all together. It's that all these events are all happening in the present oh, and okay, all happening okay. quickly over like, like with each other. But that's a, good, that's a good clarification for our audience because there are scenes where there's a bunch of things flashing. Now, I'm not going to go through the, the, all those because yeah. 
the most of those flashbacks are literally just kind of a recap to kind of like almost M Night Shyamalaning us. Yeah, where they go back and show you everything. Like, hey, look what you might have missed. But they show it from like a different angle and they yes, pinpoint something exactly. Okay, so here we go. One of the photos on the floor leads Lawrence to realize Zepp the Orderly was the man in his house the previous night. Adam announces the clock is at six and the pair are out of time. At the Gordon's house, Zepp switches off the monitors and turns to Allie and Diana. Zepp calls Lawrence to let Allie tell him he failed. Allie and Zepp wrestle for the gun, resulting in several shots fired. The shots fired attract the attention of Detective Tapp across the street. Allie stabs Zepp with a pair of scissors, sending him to the ground. Detective Tapp rushes in and exchanges fire with Zepp. Tapp and Zepp wrestle for the gun, with Zepp coming out on top. Unable to locate Allie and Diana, he announces he's on his way to kill Lawrence. Zepp drives like a madman, with Detective Tapp in hot pursuit. In the bathroom, Lawrence breaks down, thinking he's lost his wife and daughter, only to be electrocuted through his chains the same way Adam was before. Zepp arrives at the warehouse where Adam and Lawrence are being kept, with Detective Tapp close behind, exchanging further gunfire. In the bathroom, the phone starts to ring, but is no longer in reach after Lawrence's electrocution. He begins to panic. He reaches his breaking point. Fashioning his shirt into a tourniquet, he begins to saw at his own leg as Adam looks on in horror. Zepp and Tap again wrestle for the gun, this time with Detective Tap taking a bullet. Lawrence, now free from his chains and his foot, retrieves the revolver from the hand of the man on the floor, loads it with a single round from his envelope. Pale from blood loss and desperation, he takes aim at Adam. You have to die. No, I want to live. I want to live. Sorry. I want to live. My family. Adam falls to the floor. The door opens to reveal Zepp. Zepp tells Lawrence he's too late and he must die, because those are the rules. He's about to take aim. Adam pulls him to the floor and beats him to death with the top of the toilet. We get a temporary slowdown here. Lawrence, barely alive, tells Adam he's going to go get help. A terrified Adam begs him not to leave, but Lawrence is losing blood fast and doesn't see any other way. Now, fun fact before we go on here. As Lawrence is loading the cartridge into the revolver to shoot Adam, the camera briefly shows all six of the chambers of the cylinder to be empty. Can you, can you think of why that might have been a problem or why you might initially think that was a problem? Well, if all six chambers were empty, there wouldn't be a bullet in the fucking gun to begin with. Very good. The revolvers don't eject the, the spent cartridges. Yet the man on the floor was supposed to have shot himself with the same gun. What looked to be a simple prop error is actually some subtle foreshadowing. Oh. Mm. Left alone in the room, Adam begins searching Zepp's pockets, hoping to find a key to his chains. Instead, what he finds is a tape recorder. And here we cue the badass music. The music that this film is absolutely famous for.
Now, fun fact about that music. Charlie Clouser composed the score for the film and came up with this iconic music in just three weeks. Pretty crazy for That's how well it's cool. traversed the entirety of this of this franchise. Yeah, you hear that and you instantly know it's Ex- you it, know yeah, you know it's Saw. It's Saw. Yeah. Adam plays the tape. The momentum once again picks up with flashes of the past while the voice on the tape outlines how Zep became entangled. Jigsaw poisoned Zep to compel him into the kidnapping. The ominous voice on the recorder asks Zep if he would kill a mother and child to save himself. As Adam listens, horrified and confused, from behind him, the man in the pool of blood begins to rise. The music continues and the flashes to the past begin again. Revealing the grand design. Jigsaw is John Kramer, the interesting person Zepp alluded to in the hospital bed. And fun fact, when I talked about the identity of Jigsaw was revealed during the hospital scene, when Zepp Emerson says he's a very interesting person, there is a diagram on the table next to John's hospital bed of the reverse bear trap. They told us all along that John was Jigsaw. The voiceover of John Kramer, a.k.a. Jigsaw, reveals he has an inoperable brain tumor that's slowly killing him, and his games are designed to teach a lesson to those who waste their precious gift of life. Adam reaches for Zepp's gun. Jigsaw electrocutes Adam once again. As he slowly makes his way out of the bathroom, Jigsaw turns to face Adam with the light behind him in this chilling final scene. slams shut and then adam is just screaming the entire time it's fucking crazy yeah it's, it's chilling a fun fact lee winnell came up with the idea of giving john kramer a brain tumor while spending time in a neurology ward for anxiety and headaches he said that undergoing numerous tests and expecting bad news made him reflect on his own mortality and he used that experience in creating a character who had only a few years left to live that's kind of crazy and here's a cr- another fun fact and this one is just like it really speaks to Tobin Bell's commitment. He laid face down for all of the scenes in the bathroom. There was no dummy there. They yeah. never like were like, oh, let's bring a dummy and have him lay down. No, they had John literally laying down for any scene that was shot there. They shot all those scenes in uh, sequential order, too, in the bathroom. So it's he would have just been sitting there for all of that. Yeah, like for crazy. like however many hours it took to film that, he literally just laid there. Like, fuck that, man. That's that's exhausting. <laughs> just laying down. Well, because he's not just laying down. You know, he's covered in uh, he's covered in the blood. Uh, he has to remain very still. Because I I watched really closely. You there never see him. Breathing. You never see him breathing. He's doing a great job of of keeping. Like, and you know, fucking the director James Wan was probably sitting there like, uh, yeah, Tobin, we can see you breathing again, buddy. Tobin, Tobin, Tobin. Tobin yeah, you got to stop breathing, man. We're we, we're our shots on you. You can't breathe right now. Do you want me to ring your bell? Because <laughs> <laughs> his last name's bell. bell. <laughs> So, we've already kind of discussed that Jigsaw never actually kills anyone, but there's another thing we need to discuss here. John actually intended for Adam to be able to escape from the room, but due to the actions of Amanda, he was prevented from doing so. So, in Saw 3 in 2006, it's revealed that Amanda was the one who threw the key on his chest instead of putting it in, like, in his pocket, hinting that she knew he was going to lose. So, and that actually becomes kind of a, uh, you know, kind of a thing yeah. that we, we start to see in some of the uh, the subsequent Saw films is this insinuation that 
Amanda doesn't truly she she's definitely grasped the idea of embracing the fact that she you know she now values her life but she's never truly understood John's vision because a lot of times she sets the games up to where so, you can't win. to where you can't win so that was actually considered part of this as well is that right, she helped with this because Adam's key goes straight down the drain right the straight veins. down the damn drain yeah and that's something I didn't mention just because it's like it's it's kind of quick and it honestly it doesn't really matter because he never had a chance to use it anyway no it, but, but even a, John at the end is tells him he's like you know there's the a key, key to there. that the key to your lock was in the was in the is in that is in that tub yeah, yeah. But the problem is that you know she I think she wrapped the thing around his leg so that as soon as he moved his leg, the pl- the drain would yeah. come unplugged, so the thing would go straight down. Like she she set it up to make sure he would never be able to get that yeah. key. Which is, and again, if we want to talk about them in the future, that's going to be something where we can't really like go too far into it. But there's one specific trap I remember that they were like, no, this is indicative of the fact that they could not get out of this because of the way the surgery was performed. And also, like, what exactly was J- Jigsaw's degree and everything like that in? I knew he was an engineer, but he would have had to know poisons. He would have had to know, like, medical procedures and stuff like that. I mean, was he just that well-versed? I think that's all it was supposed to. That was the insinuation because he spent years planning a lot of his games, which is weird because he's, like, dying. So it's like, does he really yeah. have the time to be planning games this elaborate? But no, he, we, I think we're just supposed to assume that he's an incredibly brilliant individual that can, you know, put the planning together a lot faster than most people would be able to. And while um, I love this movie, I will say the second one is by far my favorite in the entire series because it's literally everything just works in yeah, that movie. It does. Now, I want to know if you thought about this. Did you? So did you? You've been rewatching them recently as well. Yeah. Do you sit there look at it and go, "Oh, it's like an escape room." I yeah. <laughs> Do you know there's a saw theme escape room in Las Vegas? Yes. Remember we talked about this. Yeah. We talked about going go to, to Vegas that. to go to this. So you know what? There you go. Bachelor party. We'll go to the salt. We'll go to the salt theme. Oh yeah, because I'm, I'm getting married. You are. You're gonna be. You'd be a, a grown up. Yeah. Uh, and speaking of which, I do want to say thank you to Amanda, my fiance. She's actually taking over getting a lot of our social media together. Where she's gonna be making sure that we have like a TikTok, a Twitter, all these things we've talked about doing. We just haven't had the time. But now we're gonna we're gonna be able to have these things for you. Yeah. So before we wrap this up, the one last thing I want to bring up. Uh, there's a creator on TikTok. Uh, I think it's pronounced Masonide. I think is how we pronounce it. It's like M-A-S-O-N-I-D-E. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if it's Masonide or Masonide. I'm not really sure how he pronounces it. But he tells this elaborate conspiracy that Kevin McAllister yeah, from Home Alone actually grows up to be Jigsaw. And he evidences it so well that it's pretty fucking convincing. It's this idea of like, well, yeah, Adam, you know, Kevin McAllister, he, you know, he loved to set traps for bad guys and put them in these elaborate scenarios, just like Jigsaw. And uh, Kevin McAllister's next door neighbor, he thought he was a serial killer, yet somehow he was willing to befriend him, even when he still thought he was a serial killer. Mm-hmm. You know, why would he think that was okay if he didn't have a little bit of psychopathy? So, and then he like, he points to a doll that's in the the, the film of Home Alone that kind of looks strikingly similar to Billy. I mean, it's just all this shit that he puts together to, to paint this picture that Kevin McAllister grows up to be Jigsaw. Hey, if you push for it enough, sometimes these things do manifest. I mean, they they were saying that Shaggy was actually like the most powerful character like ever, and now Shaggy from Scooby Doo is like considered super powerful. Oh my god! So, like I said, while watching this on a 4K screen, I can say that there's just some things about watching older movies that kind of stand out to me, and it's the camera work. I think. 
when they switch back and forth between cameras some of them look ultra realistic and some of them don't well there's there's actually a reason behind that uh it's it's really neat that you picked up on that so james wan actually wanted the camera movements to reflect the emotions of the two main characters so we've got dr gordon who's being you know until of course we you know the the things start to escalate yeah he's very calm very measured very pragmatic whereas adam is very you know panicky shaky kind of you know probably having some nicotine withdrawal um so <laughs> james some sweet sweet cancer is what he, says. <laughs> he does say that um so james actually filmed gordon with a steady controlled shot and adam with handheld shots so he could kind of kind of distinguish between use the camera as a as a means to distinguish between their emotional states do you, I, I don't know if i just put this together or not is this supposed to be the final saw this next one? Yeah. Oh, I have no idea. Why? Because if you think about it this way, remember in the in this movie, he says X, X marks, marks the spot. spot. I was just thinking uh, yeah. that when you said that. Like, oh, God, is that... I hope not. I hope that's not what they're doing. I want more Saw. <laughs> you want to see more Saw. I want to see more Saw. I want to see Saw. I want more Seesaw. <laughs> <laughs> so, Sean, where can we watch this movie? Because I, I feel like the only places I could find it had ads. Well, once again, AJ, as we've seen with other films like The Birdcage around Pride season... Because we're in this, the, the midst of spooky season, there are a lot more options. So you can see it on Prime, Spectrum, Oxygen, Sling, Peacock, Stars, NBC, USA, Bravo, E, Sci-Fi, Telemundo, and Stars on the Roku channel. All of those will require a subscription, but if you have the subscription, you can watch it on any of those platforms. And then in addition, if you want to pay for it, for $3.49, you can watch it on Row 8. And for three ninety nine, you can watch it on Voodoo. Now, I have a feeling that if you're watching this in December, those options are going to be a lot more limited. But because we're in the midst of spooky season and the next film is coming out in one month, I think a lot more platforms are showing it. Not about you, but Prime keeps kind of pushing it towards me, like oh, all yeah. the films. It's like, hey, you want to watch three? How about four? How about five? How about six? How about set uh, 3D? <laughs> or you could even buy it. I think there's a collection on Amazon. I think I saw it for like 10 bucks. Um, nice. Yeah, you can get, like, the 8-collection DVD. Nice. Well, our music is created by Augusta Denise, logo by Design World, social media by the future Mrs. AJ, mixing and editing by IPTT Studios, and a special thanks to studio dog Joe the Boxer. And we want to hear from you in your own slice of toast. Tell us about the films that you think we and others should see, actors to showcase, or topics to discuss. You can reach us on Instagram at IPTT underscore podcast, email us directly at IPTTpodcast at gmail.com, or interact with us directly through the Spotify app. Future social media will be reported in the future. And if you ever find yourself in an elaborate puzzle designed by a madman, a terrifying voice on the recorder, given only one unthinkable option of escape, remember, live or die, choose your toast. (laughs) Thanks for listening. Most people are so ungrateful to be alive. But not you. Not anymore.